because you're jumping back into the gap. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Get the best instructional coaching with ImmersionVideos.com. Are you looking to become a better coach? Then ImmersionVideos.com is the perfect solution for you. Their downloadable videos provide expert coaching from all over the world to help you develop the skills needed to take your coaching to the next level. Get all access practice and clinic footage from some of the best coaches in basketball, including Nate Oates, Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Mark Cassio, Dave Smart, Francisco Nanny, and more. Try ImmersionVideos.com today and become an even better coach. Excited to welcome Alabama head coach Christy Curry to the basketball podcast. Since Coach Curry became the head coach of the University of Alabama women's basketball team in 2013, each season has produced significant wins and new milestones. Curry has been coaching for over 23 years and has an overall head coaching record of 462 and 281. Curry came to Alabama to find a new challenge after leading Texas Tech and Purdue for seven seasons each. She led the Boilermakers to seven NCAA tournaments, including a national championship game appearance, while winning five straight Big Ten titles. When Curry came to Alabama from Texas Tech, the Crimson Tide was coming off back-to-back two-win SEC campaigns. Now it has reached 20 wins in back-to-back seasons. And the Crimson Tide has returned to the NCAA tournament, ended a decade-long losing streak against Tennessee, and brought the program back to prominence. Coach Curry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today, Chris. Excited to have you. Uh, incredible career. Uh, so many stops along the way. and. Uh, Coach, I think it's a good one to start with. Is just to ask you a little bit in general about uh, some of the keys to uh, longevity in coaching because uh, you've done it. You know, I've been really blessed. Obviously, um, my mom was a high school coach, so I had a chance. And then my dad was a junior high football coach for 38 years. So I had two coaches at home every day and I wanted to grow up and be just like them. And so I was a high school coach for three years, started at 21, and then got the chance to go be an assistant for eight years at several different stops. and. You know, to be blessed to be at Texas Tech, Purdue, and now Alabama, um, you know, I've been really fortunate to um, make sure that, you know, that my beliefs, my values, um, that it it aligned with who I was working for and working with every day. So a lot of times um, in coaching, um, you know, you're not that fortunate, but I've been blessed to have tremendous staffs and players. And, you know, recruiting is the lifeblood of every program. So whether you're recruiting players or staff, I think it's really important to make sure that those folks in your program line up with what your values are and what you believe in. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Purdue obviously helped make national power. Texas Tech had great tradition. Alabama seems to be the outlier a little bit in the sense that you came to a program that was really struggling. And obviously you've had incredible milestones along your way. But talk to us a little bit about that, about the the uh, bravery, so to speak, to leave those traditional powers to go to one that wasn't one yet. Yeah, you know, um, I had been to, uh, I was an assistant at Louisiana Tech, really on Barmore. Kim Wilkie was on that staff. And we went to two Final Fours out of three years. Um, and a little bit caught me off guard, Purdue calls. You know, I'm 32 years old. I'm like, I'm a Louisiana girl. I didn't even know what snow was, Chris. And, <laughs> you know, go to the Big Ten. Um, I can't take a lot of credit 
you know, um, at Purdue, Carolyn Peck and Neil Fortner had done an unbelievable job. And it was kind of just don't come in here and mess this up, just kind of build on, you know, they had just won the national championship. So I followed a national championship. And, you know, we we're fortunate to sign the number one class in the country um, and then continued that seven straight tournaments, a couple of Big Ten titles, you know, but it, we had tremendous leadership from a Katie Douglas and a Camille Cooper and a Kelly Camaro. And then we were just able to make sure that we continued to recruit at a really high level. Indiana had such great in-state talent at the time. So we were able to build on the success of the past, but we also embraced the past. I think a lot of coaches come into situations and they don't embrace the past. You know, and they don't respect it. You just want to change everything. Well, there really wasn't a whole lot broken there. So it was more than just don't mess it up. And then, you know, I, I got the call to go to Texas Tech and follow Marsha Sharp, who we know is one of the greatest legends in the game, truly was an honor. And so I take the Texas Tech job. I grew up, you know, in a time with Coach Barmore and Jody Conrad and Marsha Sharp, you know, in the South um, with Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Georgia. That's my part of the world. And to follow Marsha Sharp, took that challenge on. So then Alabama calls come to Alabama, and I'm like, okay, I just followed the national championship, followed the legend. This is completely different. And uh, it was interesting, Chris, because Alabama called me my third year at Purdue, and I told them no, and they called back 10 years later. And so I think just the opportunity to get back to this part of the country, my parents were getting older, you know, I'm five hours away for the first time instead of 14 and 12, and it was just a new challenge. And um, we had just taken Tech to two out of three years to the tournament. And man, talking about an awakening, it was a completely different situation. And uh, we took a lot that we had done at both places, both of our stops, and had just, you know, we incorporate a little bit longer of a build here, a lot harder job in this league. But uh, we're excited. I mean, you know, we've had back-to-back -back 21 seasons, two out of the last three years go to the tournament, top 15 recruiting class, the second McDonald's All-American in school history. And we, we feel like we've got it rolling. So we're excited about the future and we go into our 11th season. So you know, I think Alabama really sold us on um, building and I had really always inherited something and it was just a challenge to build. I think it's a lot of fun to build and do something that hasn't been done. It's such an insight there. And I was going to ask you about that. And you pretty much answered it about building. And uh, that would be the difference. And you mentioned being a young coach going in and understanding not to change things. When you take the Alabama job now, does that give you an opportunity to change a lot? Well, I think we just we were just trying to double knot our shoes, put our shirt tail in and get from A to B. You know, I, I was so lucky at Purdue. One of the most amazing people I had a chance to learn from was Joe Tiller, um, the former football coach there, who took me under his wing and was so good to our program. And he told me one day and every time he would see me, hey, girl, just do what you're supposed to when you're supposed to do it the way it's supposed to be done. And um so much about Alabama is we just needed to do what we were supposed to when we were supposed to the way it was supposed to be done from the classroom to the court to the community to the support staff to hiring the right staff in this program. And we've just been so blessed. It's never been about me. I've been so lucky to have, you know, tremendous staff, tremendous players and just really good people around our program. It, it takes a village, right? It takes a village at my house to raise two little girls and obviously 15 at the office. So. It's um, I've just been really lucky to understand that it takes everybody, that it's it's a lot bigger than me. We talk a lot at Bama about it's not the back of our chest, it's the front of our chest that we represent. And I try to be that way as well. I'm just really lucky to have a, a great staff and a great group of kids around me.
Well, we're grateful to have it about you on this podcast, Coach. So uh, this is going to be fun to get a little bit deeper into kind of your journey and some of the things that led to your success. And uh, we mentioned longevity and coaching. I'm just wondering from a female coaching perspective, is there anything more specific about being a woman in coaching that maybe are challenges or things that have helped you lead to longevity? Because certainly that seems to be a challenge to be able to maintain and keep females in coaching. Yeah, you know, I've been really blessed, I think, um, in my situation to um, have an administration, you know, um, that supported me as a mother, you know, and as a wife. And I think one of the hardest things in coaching anymore that I see and it's a little bit bothersome is it's really hard, not just for us as females, but also the males as well to have a work life balance. You know, with the way the recruiting calendars are now, with the way everything is from promoting your program. The hours we're allowed to work with our team. I mean, I think it's the longest season, right? Men's women's basketball in any sport. And so how do you balance, you know, being a mom and also being a coach? And, you know, how did I balance that when I got married as an assistant coach? And then how do you balance that as a head coach? So I think I just look at it like this. You know what? You're too blessed to be stressed. It's the best tired feeling in the world. And um, you, you have to be organized and you have to have a great village around you. You know, we were so fortunate. We were 14 and 12 hours from family. So from a group of college students, a group of, of, of women in the community to daycare, man, it's just juggling it, right? And we're like any other professional. It's really hard, but you just figure it out and you just right foot, left foot, breathe every day and put a plan together and go out and execute it. But I think I would I would hope that I'm a role model for so many out there that you can be a mom in coaching. And I think we're all moms at the office. I see this every single day as a family. People talk about that, but we actually try and live it, you know, and we talk about grit being the grittiest, hardest worker in the room. We talk about loving each other. And then we talk about gratitude, being thankful. So, you know, I think as a mom and as a coach, I try to live those three things and those around me um, kind of simulate that. So it's a, it's all of us working together on that. You mentioned being, and I love it, too blessed to be stressed. What a great line, coach. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Hey, I've, got, I've got it over here by my desk. <laughs> um, I had a lady that that made that for me. So um, I think we really are. You know, again, it's really, really a challenge. You have to have a great family, have to have a great spouse or partner, and you just work on it every single week, every single month. And you mentioned administrative support. I, I know you've had your husband around your program, which <laughs> has been helpful, no doubt. But uh, you, were your kids around, around the program allowed to be around the program as well? And that's part of the administrative support. And I found that with my coaching that my administration was all okay if my kids were around. Absolutely. I mean, we're so lucky. I mean, when we were um, signed a contract at Purdue, they're like, hey, we'll, we'll travel a nanny for you. Um, and my 22-year-old never missed um, a trip the first five years, thankful to you know the administration at Purdue for making that important. And I think also, you know, it showed our players that you can be successful professionally and also have a family. And so I hear so many of them will say, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you did that, but I'm glad that I got a chance to see you do that because now it makes it easier when every single time I think it's hard, I think about, man, coach had those kids with us. And, you know, so I think at the end of the day, you know, I was really fortunate too, because I had a couple of, you know, mentors in coaching, you know, that, that I saw them have families and, you know, it's been, you know, not only as a female, but also those males that managed it. And I think as, as a staff here, I mean, we, you know, my coach had his two little girls at camp the other day. They're running around. The campers are playing with them. I just think it's 
it's it's so good, you know, and our kids will turn out okay. I mean, my two have turned out okay so far, but, you know, the experiences they get from what we get to do, where we travel, the things that we saw, so many little little girls having an opportunity to look up to my big girls, my two at home look up to them still to this day. Love that. That's so, so wonderful. And uh, I know I know part of this is also you're involved in the WBCA uh, Coach to Coach Mentoring Program. Can you Talk to us a little bit about that and maybe some of the topics or some of the things that you share with other coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing program. And actually um, did that two years ago. It was right after COVID. And so we would do weekly Zooms, bi-weekly, uh, bi-monthly, sometime based off if we're in season or out of season. But the most amazing group of young women um, that I had a chance to get to know that not only I hope I gave them a little knowledge, I think I learned more than I could possibly give them from the three of them and just their perspectives as assistants. And so just the opportunity for us to share different ideas. Um, you know, one was work-life balance and how do you manage everything? You know, what do you do with your players that are really struggling, you know, with um, a certain a skill set? I mean, it was from the X's and O's to the off the floor. Um, how do you handle your academics? Well, how do you handle your itineraries for travel? You know, well, how do y'all travel? Well, how do you travel? What do you do for your team meals? What do you do for culture? You know, where, and we just talked uh, random topics. We would always send topics in. I had a list that we were kind of following from the WBCA and would also always cover, but it was more than, you know, because we had different leagues. We had uh, a BYU, you know, we had a smaller league. Um, now one's actually an assistant in the WNBA. So, a lot of various backgrounds that we could all learn from each other. And, you know, I had a chance at the final four to be a part of their mentoring madness where, you know, young coaches came in and they spent, you know, 15 minutes at one table with us and then would rotate tables. And, you know, to, to hear from those folks now, it's a lot of fun to share ideas. So long story short, I think it's just a way for us as head coaches to be able to, to inspire them that they can do what we're doing. And how can we help the game grow? We're all on the same page. We all just want women's basketball to be at the highest level possible and to help our young women every day. Yeah, we absolutely do. And tremendous program. WBCA does so many absolutely. things like that. Yeah. Um, getting into some of the let's get into some of those technical and tactical things and particularly style of play. And I know you play different styles throughout your career, but uh, it seems like a bit of a shift over the last three and especially last year in terms of, uh, you know, three point. Temp attempts and embracing that and 702 uh, second in attempts in your league and then first I think in three-point percentage and then third nationally in three-point percentage so talk to us a little bit about that shift and embracing the three-point shot yeah you know um we love to uh shoot layups and threes um we feel like those are higher percentage shots um you know we were 29th I think nationally in points per possession um you know it's something that my first couple of years we obviously had I think you know, um, a post player big inside. So we kind of adapted to our personnel. I mean, she led the country in field goal percentage. And so we played a little bit more inside out. You know, I can see us now with the personnel that we have on this year's team getting a little bit more um, versatile inside and, and, and being able to do some things. But we do. We love a five out system. We love for all five to be able to shoot the three. Um, and it's just something that we feel like you know, that our game has given us the opportunity, maybe not being as big as others in our league, the opportunity to um, be able to create mismatches. Um, you know, we want to play, you know, we don't play against the set defense. So um, we want a one second decision. Um, you know, we want to shoot the first open shot, make the first decision we possibly can. And it's been a fun system and style of play. We've obviously had two out of the three last three years WNBA draft picks, which is the first time in a ton of years here 
And so this system we feel like is really a pro style system that helps players develop the versatility. We spend a tremendous amount of time, Chris. I just walked by the gym and one of my assistants had two kids that had volunteered to come in today. We believe a lot. We don't feel like there's anybody in the country that works more on individualizing their skill development plan that fits our system from an offensive standpoint. That's great. I, I'm watching clips, obviously, on Synergy and uh, Fun Style and uh, enjoy watching it. I'm curious, you know, about particularly your league. I mean, a powerhouse league. Was that something that uh, you felt you had to adapt in order to be able to compete in the league, to be able to be be better and be different? Yeah, I think for a little bit, you know, we weren't six five, six six. Um, we didn't have multiple bigs inside. And I mean, we've gotten more to that this year. We're a lot bigger. So we're really excited um, about having more point production in the paint and playing a little bit more inside out. Um, but we also feel like the couple that we've recruited can also shoot the three. So um, we just feel like it puts us at an advantage. It's really hard to guard. Um, you know, we we create mismatches, and uh, it's hard for a lot of big folks to come out and guard that three sometimes. And then, you know, we put it on the floor and get a lot of looks at the rim, play off two feet, um, create advantages. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in our league that, that love to shoot the three, but then there are some that not. So I don't, I don't think there's one way that's right or wrong. Um, we just feel like it's really fit for us and work for us. We've always believed in great guard play, you know, along the way at our stops. And then you know, we've really been really good at developing the forward position here, you know, and a Brittany Davis and a Jasmine Walker. And, um, you know, we feel like now we've signed, you know, our second McDonald's and Essence Cody. It's going to be fun to watch Essence continue to be able to have the ability to step out and face up and finish inside and out. And that's a pro style, right? You know, anymore, you, you can't just be one dimensional. So we we do, we love developing three level scores and feel like we do a good job with that. You you mentioned uh, matchups and trying to create mismatches. Is that simply like pace of play in terms of trying to play fast and then create cross matchups? And then Absolutely. once you do that, what are you doing to attack those matchups? Are you attacking them mainly on the perimeter or are you attacking them inside? What are you doing to attack matchups? Yeah, I mean, we want to play, a, you know, a lot of five out and um, we want to play really, really fast. Um, everything that we do in practice with the pace. And that's the biggest adjustment transition for a lot of young kids. That's what we're going through this past week a little bit. You know, first time they've ever played with the shot clock, much less. I mean, we want to be into our offense with 22, 23 on the clock. And so it's it's a it's a fast-paced style. It's a lot of fun. It's a pro style. And we, we create a lot of mismatches. I mean, we don't want to play against a set defense. So, again, defensively, that feel, we feel like that's something that we've really done a much better job. You know, we've had more of a press style here lately. We we really picked up and, and pressured more to create offense from our defense. Um, you know, it's hard to play against, hard to play every time we allow someone to score in this league because they're so big and strong. And you've got six six at the rim. We spend a lot of time on our finishes. We spend a lot of time, you know, on game like spots and shots and no hesitation and giving our kids a lot, a lot of confidence in shooting the basketball. And you know, we chart everything every single day, and we really work on kids developing a, a really great quick release. And what are you charting in terms of, uh, you know, sh shot quality in terms of, uh, you know, especially you're trying to emphasize pace of play? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're doing a lot. We chart all of our threes. Um, we chart all our, <laughs> you know, our free throw. We do a free throw ladder every single week. Um, every single day, I want to be above 75%. And we work a lot. We'll come out and spend eight minutes on finishes every single day um, with a position breakdown around the rim. I think that's a part of the game you know, that that a lot of people don't take time for. You just automatically assume because it's around the realm, it should, it's it's a mate. But spend a lot of time on all the different finishes, especially on the perimeter. You know, because when you, you get to our level, you're sitting there six 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 seven waiting on you at the realm. It's a little bit different than the high school level. 
And so, you know, and playing off two feet and making a make a good decision. So, you know, we spend a lot of time on offensive advantage drills. Um, again, just a quick decision, a one second decision, we call it. So we do, we tried our threes, our free throws, our finishes, our assisted turnover ratio every single day, all areas. And we, we spend a lot of time, we use a company called HDI that helps us on a daily basis and a game-like basis with everything that we do on both sides of the ball. Yeah, fun stuff. And uh, you, you mentioned the free throw ladder. Is that is that a competition in terms of the number of free throws they're shooting they can challenge up and down? Or explain to us a little bit about that competition. Yeah, you know, um, we want to make more free throws um, than our opponent shoots every single game. That's a game goal. And we feel like, you know, a lot of people I don't know, um, we had a team a couple years ago that really struggled. And um, I actually had a team my fourth year maybe at Texas Tech. So one of the most awesome parts of my career has been the ability to watch a Gene Cady practice, right? The ability to watch Bobby Knight practice. Um, you know, now here, obviously, I got a chance to watch Avery Johnson. Now I get a, a chance to watch Nate Oates. So how do they practice free throws, right? So a couple of it's just kind of a combined philosophy on, you know, we'll take a water break, two free throws. We chart every single one of those. Um, we do a lot of line drills at the end. But it's a free throw ladder that builds through the week, and everyone has to be 75% or higher. Um, if they're not, we have the accountability that week. Um, based off on how much travel that week, um, extra free throws, extra makes. And then we have a couple little red ladders, simple painted ladders at the end of the Saturday practice before we play on Sunday. We've got two free throw ladder winners. And man, our kids really get into it. We Everything that we try to do um, and everything is competitive, whether it's our shooting times, whether it's, you know, our breakdowns in practice, our shooting drills. Um, we spend a lot of time shooting the three, um, several drills that we do that are really game-like, game pace. And if you don't have a certain number, you've got accountability at the end that day. And I mean, we just spend so much time working on the little things, game pace, that it all becomes repetition, right? Free throws are repetition, but you got to practice them. So that the main little thing was borrowed from some of the things that Coach Knight did. I thought he did a really good job in his practices of shooting free throws when you were tired. So um, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, you mentioned accountability as well. And I love that you said you vary it based on workload throughout the week. So can you just give us an example of, say, uh, you know, an easy workload week? What would be accountability versus, uh, you know, a more Absolutely. Intense you know, say we're regulating our SEC routine and, you know, we're on a Tuesday and we don't meet our numbers and where we're supposed to be from our Northwest Florida and our two minute three point shooting drill. Um, you know, we're going to stay and make 50 extra. You know, and then our free throw ladder at the end of the week, we know we have to get another 200 the next week on top of what we're getting in practice. So it's based on on that. Um, if if we got a three week, three game, you know, in the preseason and we'll adjust it a little bit, and not be so tough the next week. Now we know coming up based off their day off, too. Yeah, great so, stuff. And, uh, but, you know, you we know do three 30 minute shooting windows, part of our 20 every week. So. That's where there's just one player out there and they're getting repetition on the gun face up. If it's post, we're doing our finishes around the rim. Um, so we spend a lot of time. That's also part of our 20. I try not to go over two, two and a half. I've tried to mature with that a little bit. <laughs> we right. actually, we go to Spain in August. So we're about to have a whole different summer than we normally have with 18 practices or 10 plus the four hours a week. So it's a lot of fun for us right now here in June and July, because we have that to look forward to and we have more time with them, but I also don't want to wear them out mentally and physically. 
So I think that's every week just trying to look at your plan. You know, we use Polar, the pace, and, you know, more about making sure that we're getting the right number of reps by not too many to wear them down from November to December and then what happens in February. I can't tell you how many NCAA coaches have had conversations with about the offseason and how hard it is to be able to do things and not prepare for games, right? Not not have that immediate kind of like, what are we working towards type of feeling. So I'm imagining the foreign trip changes that a lot for you and your players. It really does. We're just taking it. Um, you know, we're trying to make sure. That, I mean, they're they're so excited to be here, right? This first week, and they're all wanting extra, and they're all wanting to come in and get shot. I'm like, yo, it's gonna be okay. Just, you know, but they're so excited. So I think it's finding that balance because over time, you know, they play so many games before they get to us, and you know, um, we just want to make sure that we're healthy from January, February when it matters most. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh... You know, getting ready for a foreign trip. I mean, I've had a lot of experience in playing teams coming to Canada on their foreign trip when I was a college coach up there. And in that short prep time, can you talk to us about some of the things that you're emphasizing during that short prep time? Yeah, you know, um, so we actually this week, you know, have spent our four hours a week. We had two team camps. So we took an hour of our team camp time and kind of had a mini clinic. Mm. And it was only our first two days of our kids being here. So we were really teaching and talking to not only the coaches and the kids in the stands, but to our players as well. So we've tried to, to change it up a little bit instead of just shutting the door and letting it be us. We've shared a lot with folks this week, but next week we're excited because our four hours that we'll be able to spend with our players, you know, really starting to install, you know, from the ground up because we have six new faces and that's going to be part of our life now, right? With the portal, we've got three freshmen, which are a normal class and you add the portal. So you've got to slow down and teach. Um, I don't think you can you can go too fast. So really breaking things down from a defensive system, an offensive system, the best that you can in four hours a week. And then our strength coach, um, you know, is, is, is carrying over everything that we're trying to do from a stance and a defensive standpoint and some of the areas of the things that she's working on. So, um, you know, we've just been just we have a plan laid out here for summer one with our hours and then summer two and feel like we have a progression, but we're not. We're not going to take shortcuts. If we don't accomplish what we want that day, we believe in repetition and, and patience is a virtue right now. Hey, Coach. Brief interruption from our podcast. Are you ready to take your coaching to the next level? Thousands and thousands of coaches have already benefited from Basketball Immersion's membership community, and you can be next. Join us as an individual coach or take advantage of our exclusive pricing for staff or club members and unlock valuable learning resources with access to cutting-edge basketball and coaching concepts that will save you time and improve your coaching and your players' enjoyment of practices and games. Take advantage of this opportunity today. Go to www.basketballimmersion.com. I love hearing about this and diving deeper, and uh, certainly, again, you're going to get feedback with those games in Spain as well. Um, with that, are you in, are you an install offense first, defense first? What's your philosophy in terms of those things? Um, we're offense first. You know, I wish we were a little bit more defense, and we're working on trying to improve that. But you know, we we want to we want to play really fast, and we we uh, we love to score the basketball. And I think that's um, something that's a fun system and style of play. I mean, we love you know again, we're gonna six to eight points a game off baselines and sidelines. We're gonna execute. We're gonna look at how we're being guarded. We're gonna carry that over into the scout. We may put some of those in that week. We're going to put some ISOs and we'll have some different things that we're going to do set play wise, but we just want to put them in space and we want them to make plays. We want to teach them how to play the game instead of controlling. And, 
I think that's something that we've really, really done a good job with and kids love to play. And I think it's impacted our recruiting. When you talk about teaching them how to play is in within conceptual concepts, obviously within transition, are you emphasizing certain things in terms of things that trigger actions and specific actions for specific players or specific actions in specific spots? Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those concepts? Yeah, I mean, it's specific actions for specific spots. I mean, we want we want certain spots filled. And um, I, actually, with this team, it's been a little bit different because we don't necessarily have that true five, you know, and um, we're not going to out it. We're going to dribble bust it. Um, one through five with certain lineups. We've got two kids that it's going to be a little different, but it's just installing in their spots and their spacing and understanding, you know, what we're looking for and the different reads and react. Um, so it's, um, you know, again, we just want them to learn. It's going to look a little messy, but we want them to learn by making mistakes. And, you know, there are certain actions that we do want. So we are going to control that piece of it. We're not just going to run up and down without any concepts. Are you envisioning with this group? Is it defaulting the ball screen to dribble handoffs to gets or screening action? Yeah, we're going to set a lot of ball screens. I mean, working hard and broke some things down this week on how to read, you know, coming off the ball screen, the hesitation. And again, that all adds into the finishes that we work on so much, right? It's making that one second decision. So, you know, we work a lot on with the bigs on the roll, the pop, um, and just just breaking it down from the ground up. So it's uh, we got a lot of work to do, but we're excited about this group and the versatility that this lineup gives us for the first time in a really long time. I love it. Can't wait to watch this uh, versatility on offense and certainly five out and all the different things that go with pace of play, which is awesome. You mentioned finishing a few times. So talk to us a little bit about how you're developing that within practice. You mentioned this is a daily thing. Are they doing it on air with no defense? Are they doing it versus defense? What are the type of things that you're doing in terms of developing and finishing? So we start with the, you know, on air. And then obviously we have our pads and our, 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 practice staff, you know, that can actually be on the floor. And I'm really excited about the new rule July 1st. We can have six coaches on the floor. We have a tremendous group of managers. And then in the fall and spring, when our practice guys are in town, we really work on finishing with contact. So we start from the ground up in the air, and then we'll add the contact, the pad in. Um, you know, again, we'll do a lot of three-on-three and four-on-four buildup with finishes. Um, so just a lot of different ways that we work on it. But this week, it was obviously a lot with the air. And we actually, in front of our camp, did eight minutes of ball handling and then 12 minutes of our different finishes and broke our kids up at baskets. And we do it by position. And so, you know, each group is working on those areas that we feel like are important. And um, it's been amazing to watch because so many kids coming in, you've got your right hand, left hand layup, but you know, none of the little other little areas that you can work on from the Rondo, the up and under all the things that we try and teach that again, when you get to the paint in the SEC, you've got a lot of size waiting on you. <laughs> a lot of size. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, size. of size. And uh, you you also mentioned everything's competitive. So I'm curious, and defensively, what are some things that you're charting defensively to be able to emphasize that competition side in practice? Yeah, I mean, we're we're charting deflections. We're, we love the three in a, three stops in a row. Um, what do you, know, you call that? A lot of people call it kills. What do you call it? Yeah, we call it kills. Yeah. I know. I, I've told our staff, why does everybody call it the same thing? So, <laughs> um, but, you know, that's something that, you know, I think our kids take a lot of pride in. It's something, too, that we've got to get a lot better at. But, you know, we spend a lot of time um, just making sure they, that everything, again, is competitive time score situation. Um, and, you know, there's obviously accountability. I mean, we've done it two ways. We've done it at the moment, and then we've charted it for the end of practice, and we've gone crimson versus white. And it's based off a scoring system that we put together that 
you know, it's either plus or minus, right? And so kind of based off the whole day, then I don't really like stopping after every single drill because I think you lose your kids when you do that and there's too much standing. And so we've, we've carried it over into a plus minus and we do it at the end of practice every day. I couldn't agree more. And if we, if we did do something quick accountability, it'd be like two push-ups, something super quick, Absolutely. just as emphasis because to keep the flow of practice. So I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, the other thing that uh, Sean threw last year is obviously that you played 10 players averaged more than 13 or around 13 or more minutes per game, which is, which is great. So talk to me first about the benefits of playing 10 players over 13 minutes per game. Well, I think it's the pace, you know, and I think in this day and time, we feel like different lineups based off scouting situation. And, you know, I think a little bit of that might be an injury or two, but we really feel like we can play nine or 10 people because of the pace that we want to play at. And I think that's exciting in recruiting and to be able to sell, um, especially in this day and time with the portal. So um, our fast paced style of play on both sides of the ball, the ability to go from A to B. You know, from free throw line to free throw line, we want to win it every single time. So I think it allows us to play a lot more people. Are there any challenges or things that uh, you've learned in your time of playing that many players in terms of managing that? Yeah, I think I think it's hard because, you know, um, they come in and not having they most all of them what start and play, a, you know, nearly you know every minute of the game. So I think it's been more than that. We spend a lot of time on our culture and trying to understand that it's about we. And, you know, we're stronger together than we are individually. And, um, you know, we've also felt like, too, you know, in this day and time, you're going to have have to allow young kids to make mistakes and you're going to have to put them put them in the game to get better. And when you can say that we play that many people, I think it's going to show your young kids that you're going to give them an opportunity and then what they do with it's up to them. But just allowing them to get some minutes and get better. And I think it motivates them for future growth. Right. They, they want to understand that, you know, the offseason is important and they want to increase those minutes each and every year. You know, I've had players, you look at a Hannah Barber who didn't play her first two years, but I mean, looked at what she needed to do. We would get her in, in but she continued the last three years to just really elevate her game, but played a few minutes here and there as a freshman and sophomore. So I think you can learn a lot and you can help them really be motivated to grow by, by including them and you're trying to get them minutes when you can. Absolutely. And uh, are, are is your rotation, is it a set rotation? Is it based on feel or a little bit of both? Well, I think it's based off of every week practice, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, you know, it's not in nothing's guaranteed, but it, how did the week go? How have the past two days gone, you know, before Tuesday, Wednesday, we play Thursday and Friday, Saturday before we play Sunday. So I think every week's a new week. We talk a lot about hitting the reset button. And if what happened last week still looks big to us, we haven't done anything. So I think that's the same thing. If you haven't done anything, then what can you do this week to do something more? Such a good point. And then once you establish that going into the game, you've established who had a good week and who deserves to play more or less. Do you have it kind of as a timestamp as, uh, you know, X players going to go in at the three minute mark or is it a little bit more based on feel? I think it's based on feel. I mean, we obviously try and, you know, in our coaches meetings, plan that and based off matchups. Um, especially on the defensive end. But I also know, too, that, you know, you, you can't always script it. <laughs> it. It never really ends up that way. But it's something that I think, too, Chris, that we really look at the course of the week, you know, um, turnovers, assisted turnover ratio, how many rebounds, you know, our shooting percentages, um, everything that we've charted and, and worked on during the week from an analytical standpoint, because numbers don't lie right? Practice film doesn't lie. And so I think that, you know, 
you know, when you have competition, we feel like it has really elevated our program and it starts in practice. Just the more competitive practices can be, the better we're going to be on Thursday, Sunday in this league. So, you know, that's how we've played so many people, too. I think practices have become more competitive and we felt like kids have, kids can really come in and contribute and help our team. Well, I love that. I love that you're connecting practice to game and game to practice. And and the numbers, as you said, really help you do that, don't they, nowadays? They really do. You know, we have a group of practice guys that are amazing, but again, they fall spring. And, you know, there are certain days of the week, though, where I think it's really important not to lose your competitive edge against each other. So we blend that in practice where we're going crimson versus white. And then, you know, we go against our practice players. And then we're able to also you know, the different combinations that we play based off who's upcoming in lineups. I mean, we try to intertwine those kids to give them some reps together, right? So I think that's important. Well, and you mentioned um, you know, managing your players in terms of whether, you know, they're playing or not playing as much that week based on practice. So what comes back to is obviously the relationships you have with your players. So talk to us about that, because I've heard from others that you do a great job fostering and building relationships with your players and as you always refer, already referred to, a little bit of that family atmosphere that helps that process. Yeah, you know, I think it's communication, right? The first, uh, we just covered our 12 guidelines with our team on, on Monday. And, you know, the first, the first is communication. I don't, on the floor, off the floor, if there's something bothering you, you know, playing time, come see, come see me. Don't send your parent, come see me. You know, there's something bothering you about the dorm or your roommates being messy or you don't understand your tutor. You know, let's communicate and let's find a solution. I think that that's something that's lost sometimes that you've got a head coach. that has got an open door. Um, I think two your position coaches are an extension of who I am. So my three assistant coaches and the, just the communication and the constant communication that we have. These kids don't care how much I know. They want to know how much I care. You know, and I think that's the biggest thing is, hey. Let's go grab some coffee or, hey, let's go grab some lunch or, hey, when you get over here today, come by here. I just want to see your face. You know, yeah, I was at 6 a.m. conditioning this morning. I know there are a lot of people out there that may say, well, I don't ever go to that. Well, I do. I want those kids to know that I'm invested, you know, and I'm not saying you have to. That's just who I am. I want to be a part of everything we're doing in all aspects of our program, not to go look and see what my strength coach. Is. I just want to be present. You were asking these kids to be present. And if we're not present, I'm not sure how we can expect them to be present and all in. And just them seeing you, them being there with you, constantly checking on these kids. I mean, texting and calling. I sit in their living room. I build a relationship with them in recruiting, and I don't want it to be different when they get here. So try to spend a lot of time just on them as people, you know, and getting to know what's going on in their world. And I think it's it's really becoming more challenging because, you know, um, I told him yesterday, you know, I can't text you to sprint to help side, you know, and just teaching them how to communicate and talk on the floor, you know, and then we're doing that off the floor and just all areas of the program. I think it's really important. We're all on the same page. I love that point about not being any different in the recruiting process to the reality of being in the program. That's so important. And then the other part of it is obviously it's it's easy to say communicate, but it's much harder to actually get them to openly communicate with a coach because often they feel like. Again, you control a lot of things, so I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear. So diving deeper into that, then how can you create that? Is it from the veterans on down that they encourage them to just be able to communicate? Or what are some things that lead to that openness? Well, I think the openness, you know, from little things that we try to do, and I know it may sound, but, you know, from our Zoom, our first Zoom that we had here a couple of weeks ago with everybody on the same page, you know, hey, tell me what's your favorite food. 
Hmm. Everybody was like, hey, I know that's I heard you're a foodie too, coach. So yeah, I am. I like my Mexican food, but I'll, (laughs) I'll, I'll do whatever, but it's been fun to be in different parts of the country. But anyway, um, I like to go eat at really different places. Me too. About, and we like to take our team to do that. So, you know, I think it's, um, we're having a late day out at my house on Tuesday. Um, you know, last year we had a book club. I mean, every week, week and a half, and then each player was picking one and we would discuss it. You know, um, we went on a team retreat. I mean, just all the things off the floor, Chris, that I can possibly do. We kind of have what we call the Curry Connection. So we have a section on weather. Okay. And then we, we explain to them here on campus how to plan for that. I mean, we're in a really crazy stormy part of the country. So we talk about weather alert, weather aware, and they think I'm crazy. You know, it's just the mama in me, I guess. And then we talk about the cleaning, have a cleaning curry connection. I mean, you have so many girls wow. that when she's eating my food or my apartment's dirty because she's not taking out the trash, but coach, I took it out 10 times. You know, I think it's just all the fun things off the floor, you know, from a life skill standpoint too, that our department does and that we do. And then, just so many different areas. I can't sit here and tell you every single thing that we try to do to build relationships with them, but we just really enjoy spending time with them beyond the basketball floor in so many different ways that I think impacts 94 feet more than you can ever imagine. They don't, they don't care, you know, how much we know. It's about how much do we care and get to know them as people. Can't lose that in this day and time. I'm so glad you brought this up because I actually had this conversation with a, a really, really high level uh, female basketball player is playing professionally now. And she mentioned that one of the challenges was that the program she was in did so much for her that she didn't know what to do on her own. <laughs> and I'm like, amazing to me, but I can think about it that in some programs you get pampered so much that you don't learn about some of these things that you're talking about. Right. You know, from little things, and I know it's going to sound cheesy, but how to address an envelope, how to shake a hand, how to say hello, how to walk into a room. You know, just little things like that, that they'll go, you know, I didn't know that. Or, you know, I know I need to start doing that or we won't do it. And they'll go, oh, I should, you know, and again, I know it may sound cheesy, but, and we're not, we're not perfect here, but I'm a really big believer that this is a 50 year plan. It's not a four year plan. And when you leave Alabama as a female, I want to make sure that you're able to impact the rest of your life in the most positive way possible in your community. And a lot of us, you know, as females or males, maybe, you know, may have to take care of our family by ourselves. You just never know the circumstances. I just want them to understand. And I think in our world, we're not making millions. You know, we're going to still have a chance to play overseas and we have a chance to play in the league. We hope. But at the end of the day, you know, we've had what 14 kids leave with two degrees. Yes, part of that was COVID. But we've had multiple kids in four years. Like I, I take more pride in that. And you know, I handle academics. So every Friday at 11, I'll meet with our academic advisor. I know every single class and test they have coming up. I know how they did. I can say, hey, that is a great job. You know, I think just investing beyond just being the head coach with them on certain little things, but it takes a lot of time. But I think it allows them. That's that's why they want to compete every day, because they know we're competing for them and really care about them in their lives. I think it, it matters. It matters. And it's not cheesy. I mean, Every group of players I'm ever around, I tell them like about this concept of when someone asks you how you're doing, don't respond okay, don't respond good. There's like a hundred different ways to say something better than good that changes the conversation with people. And uh, if I say, how are you doing? And you say, fantastic. Aren't we going to have a better conversation immediately just because of one word? So coach, it's amazing what you're doing. I love this. 
Well, and I, you know, I always tell them a smile is contagious, right? If I smile at you, you're probably going to smile right back at me. It's just the human nature. So I think it's, um, we're all here to make Alabama be great, but more importantly, how can they go out into this world and impact it and be ready to roll when they leave Alabama? Well, it's beautiful because you're doing both at Alabama and, uh, you, you mentioned, I mean, we can't can't leave without talking about some of the names you've been around in your coaching. Just you mentioned Joe Tiller already, Bobby Knight, uh, Nick Saban, obviously Mike Leach, um, all these different yeah, names. And I'm just, yeah, just tremendous, tremendous people and coaches. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, again, some of your takeaways from being around those different types of coaches. Yeah, you know, the first person that comes to mind that's really impacted my life has been Coach Leon Barmore, you know, who's a Hall of Famer and man gave gave me an opportunity just um you know being at texas a&m and, and hired and um then hired kelly you know i wasn't we weren't planning on working together he called me in one day and said hey i know kelly's coach and i love what he does i want him to come be my third assistant i'm like man i just married him i wasn't working with him and he goes it'll work i'm just telling you so <laughs> we're right now blessed to be one of four couples in the sec because of coach That's and great. so just watching him and how he recruited and how he impacted community um, and how he taught us at Louisiana Tech to, you know, respect the past and embrace the future. I just took that with me, you know, because each situation I've had, I think, you know, you respect the past, you embrace the future, meaning you continue to just go to work and use the things that you know you should. But, you know, and I think Joe Curl, I mean, I had a chance to work with Coach, you know, who passed away, was the head coach at Houston, gave me an opportunity. And then Candy Harvey gave me my first opportunity. So on the women's side, but as far as the men's side, man, just, just a Mike Leach, who how he helped us at Texas Tech and, and recruiting and then Coach Saban, you know, um, like seriously, my dad passed unexpectedly. First phone call I got was from Nick Saban. Like he truly cares at Alabama about everybody being great, whether it's women's basketball, swim, golf, whoever. It's just what can we do to help each other here be great? And that's unique because you, you wouldn't necessarily think that. But anytime we call in recruiting, it's never to know what can we do to help. Um, you know, Avery Johnson was incredible. Um, I love watching his practices. Nate's been great. It's been fun to watch his system and style of play kind of line up with us a little bit, which is interesting. Um, looks at the realm and then the three. Um, you know, Coach Tiller was amazing. Just so many different people. How cool is it? And was Marsha Sharp, was she actively yeah, involved she in incredible. mentoring when you were there too? Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever I needed embraced us, um, really laid the foundation for me every single day to build on it. And, you know, from in the community to in the office, just coach, you know, just open door. What can I do to help you? Which I think is unique in this day and time, right? Sometimes when there's a transition, um, but she was incredibly special and um, will always appreciate how she embraced. And that's something I think moving forward in my career that I want to do for others, just like I had a chance to learn from her. So, um, you know, I think it, it's just been a lot of fun. Coach Katie was amazing. Um, and then Coach Knight, you know, uh, I get a call. I'm I'm just taking the Texas Tech job and I get this call and he said, um, I didn't say who he was, calls me and says, hey, I never thought I'd ever work with anyone that had anything to do with Purdue, but you might be the first exception. I'm going, it just comes over me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the Bobby Knight. But he and his wife, Karen, and, you know, he they were so incredible. And he would just come over and sit down and um, just share ideas and then let us in his practices. So, um, you know, and his wife was a former girls coach in Oklahoma. So it was a lot of fun. Sometimes I think, you know, when you see all these people, they're just human and they just have done so much for our game. So I've always been blessed to try to embrace those folks and learn every little nugget I could 
whether it was in an administrative meeting or whether it was on the court or just anything about how they run their program. So I've been really lucky to try to borrow some of those nuggets along the way. Well, you mentioned that uh, you hope to do that and give back and you already are. You have quite the coaching tree already going and uh, I'm sure that'll just continue to grow as you continue to coach. So talk to us a little bit about the coaches, not specifically the coaches, but the coaching tree and the value of that to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, someone gave me an opportunity and, um, you know, I had a chance to learn, like I said earlier, from my mom, who was a longtime high school coach, and that's what I wanted to be. And then I had a chance to start, you know, getting out and working Jody Conrad's camps and, you know, Gary Blair's camps. And, you know, I didn't even mention Coach Blair, like, seriously, you know, the reason that I got into college coaching was because he told one of his assistants about me and I didn't even plan on it. So Coach Blair, you know, um, and then I married an Aggie. So, you know, I've got a lot of good Aggies in my life, but uh, just just so many people that gave me an opportunity. So I've loved being able to mentor and help young ones. Um, Katrina Merriweather just got the Cincinnati job. Uh, Sharika Wright's the head coach at Texas Arlington. And then Brooke Store, who I recruited to Louisiana Tech and was on my staff at Texas Tech, is, you know, now the head coach at Louisiana Tech, which we're so proud of. And you know, so many former graduate assistants now are out coaching and teaching and the high school and collegiate level. So very proud of our coaching tree and, you know, just what they're doing right now. There's so many of them. Coach, this has been awesome. So fun to talk to you and, uh, you know, all these connections throughout your career, but obviously the success and the challenges that you took at the end of your career with the Alabama job. And it's so fun to see you uh, build this program and continue to grow. I appreciate you having us on, Chris, man. It's been a blessing. and. Um, have the opportunity to visit with you today. And we're just excited about the future and roll tide. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.